0: Hello everyone, I hope you're having a wonderful day. In this podcast, I'm going to trace the evolution of the ideas of human nature. I'm going to start with the Protestant Reformation, move into the Enlightenment, Romanticism, Conservatism, Liberalism, Marxism, and Existentialism, and end with Postmodernism today, attempting to show how each cultural movement shaped the ones which follow. Starting with the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther held a pretty bleak view of human nature. He believed that humans were initially created good by God, but that we became corrupted through sin. In his writing on justification by faith, he described people as totally depraved, savage, and wild beasts, and he viewed law as the way to keep humanity under some sort of control within civilized society. John Calvin was seen to hold the same view in his book Institutes of the Christian Religion where he said that our nature is not merely bereft of good, but is productive of every kind of evil. Luther's harsh view of human nature caused him to believe that we could not ever be truly good, and thus our only method of salvation is through faith in Christ, not through good works. Niccolò Machiavelli had a similarly distasteful view of humanity. He thought people to be greedy, fickle, and deeply self-interested. In The Prince, he writes, Men are so simple and so obedient to present necessities that he who deceives will always find someone who will let himself be deceived. Looking at this quote is quite evident that he held a pretty low view of both human intelligence and character. The list of thinkers who held pessimistic views of human nature only grows with the addition of Thomas Hobbes. His view of humanity can be seen in his description of the state of nature. His ideas of the state of nature arise from a few seemingly reasonable assumptions. First, that due to the similarity of people's physical and mental states, nobody is invulnerable to others. Secondly, that people strongly desire to stay alive or for their self-preservation. Third, that people are easily biased. And fourth, that the curiosity of humans will lead to the adoption of religion of various kinds. The state of nature, Hobbes argued, would amount to a dissolute condition of masterless men without subjection to laws and a coercive power to tie their hands from rapine and revenge, effectively making civilized society unthinkable. He claims that without some sort of common authority to resolve the numerous disputes which would inevitably arise, the state of nature essentially becomes a state of war, a war of all against all. However, perceptions of human nature began to change in the transition into the scientific revolution and the Enlightenment. As our worldview became much more mathematical, law-abiding, and mechanistic, rationality and reason began to be seen as central to our understanding of human nature. John Locke's view on human nature reflects this shift in thought. He believed that people were naturally both reasonable and cooperative, and that they could work together to achieve their common interests. Locke disagreed with Hobbes' claim that a strong central authority was necessary, arguing in his second treatise of government that the state of nature was preferable over the arbitrary power of an absolute sovereign. Locke believed that the state of nature was characterized by human freedom and equality. John Stuart Mill also held a positive view of human nature, although he thought that human nature could not be a universal measure. Mill's father was a close friend of utilitarian philosopher Jeremy Bentham, who thought human nature to be obsessed with their own self-interest. Mill, however, rejected this view, arguing instead that human nature consisted of both a desire for perfection and sympathy for others. He believed human nature to be quite malleable, however, rather than set in stone, claiming that people are capable of improvement. Mill argued that the exact science of human nature is an imperfect one, in comparison to the exact sciences, because actions of individuals cannot be predicted with much certainty at all. Each person is a result of both their circumstances and their character, and because circumstances can vary so greatly between any two people, the nature of two people can never be exactly the same. Rousseau, too, held a positive view of human nature, arguing that people were naturally good but became corrupted by society. I personally found this view to be difficult to understand initially, as how can society, being only made up of humans that are naturally good, ever propagate corruption or evil? Rousseau claims that in the state of nature, when human populations begin to grow and center their focus around certain activities, the cooperation between humans begins to become unstable. Competition among humans develops, specifically for sexual partners, which leads to conflict. He believed also that the class divisions of civilized society led to people becoming competitive with each other, which likewise led to people losing sight of their basic human nature. In other words, society manages to transform the naturally good person into the self-interested beast described by Machiavelli and Hobbes. Rousseau can also be seen as a precursor to Romanticism. The Romantics held a view of human nature that was quite similar to that of Rousseau. The Romantics wanted to restore man's relationship with nature. They believed that nature was pure and uncorrupted, and as humanity was born good and corrupted by society, it was in a return to nature that humanity could return to its pure and uncorrupted form and truly live a good life. Nature, Wordsworth writes, may teach you more of man of moral evil and good than all the sages can. Now, shifting into conservatism, the effects of romanticism can be seen in Edmund Burke's conservative take on human nature. He viewed man as imperfect, subject to passions and emotion, and thus the constraints of institutions were necessary to keep him in check. He did not believe that reason alone could reduce these problems, and hence thought that the revolutions of his time were going to bring down the only thing holding civil society intact. In general, conservative thinkers such as Burke hold a pessimistic view of human nature. This view arose from both the idea of original sin in Christianity and the lack of education of the masses in the 18th and 19th centuries. This lack of education became seen as evidence of a lack of capability instead of a lack of opportunity, as the educated elites lived such separate lives from the lower class. This naivety of the upper classes on the lives of those of the lower classes also led to the upper class often not understanding the cause of revolutions or violence from the masses. These factors resulted in a view of human nature as violent, unintelligent, and subservient, needing governments to help restrain these negative qualities of humanity. On the contrary, liberal thinkers, such as we have seen so far in Locke and Mill, tend to have a more optimistic view of human nature. Liberalism assumes that humans are naturally rational creatures governed by reason instead of emotion, leading to the conclusion that we should be entrusted with as much freedom as possible. Now, shifting into Marxism, Karl Marx offers a theory of human nature that, as all of his ideas do, rests heavily on social relations. Marx criticizes the notion of human nature that previous philosophers promote, which conceives human nature as both permanent and universal, claiming instead that human nature is different for each individual, determined mostly through one specific social and historical formation. He did also argue, however, that man's nature is composed of tendencies, drives, and instincts to satisfy external needs. In his 1844 manuscript, he writes, Man is directly a natural being. As a natural being, he is on the one hand endowed with natural powers which exist in him as tendencies and abilities, as instincts. On the other hand, as a natural, corporeal, sensuous, objective being, he is a suffering, conditioned, and limited creature, like animals and plants. The objects of his instincts exist outside him, as objects independent of him. Yet these objects are objects that he needs— essential objects, indispensable to the manifestation and confirmation of his essential powers. So human nature for Marx is based on the idea that humans will necessarily act as to fulfill their external needs, whatever they may be. Sigmund Freud gives a similar take, claiming that human beings are primitive, driven solely by basic instincts, urges, and desires, which are only kept in check through a person's socialization. The individual, he viewed as an enemy of society, with instinctual urges that must be restrained for the sake of society. In The Future of an Illusion, he writes that, Among our instinctual wishes are those of incest, cannibalism, and lust for killing. He also thought that human nature was largely based on the subconscious, causing him to view childhood, sexuality, dreams, and death as incredibly significant to truly understanding humankind. Unlike other modes of thought so far, in existentialism, the role of human nature takes a back seat. Sartre rejects the notion of a human nature or essence, which precedes the existence of an individual. Rather, he says, existence precedes essence, meaning that we determine our own essence. Because of this, Sartre thinks that there aren't any general truths about what we should be, other than that humanity is condemned to be free. All of these ideas culminate in our view of human nature today within postmodernism. Postmodernists argue for human nature as social constructionism, meaning that people develop knowledge in a social context and that much of what we perceive to be reality in fact rests upon shared assumptions. The ideas of social constructionism are in a large part inspired by Mill, Marx, and Freud, and Mill's claim that circumstances shape one's character, in Marx's analysis that human nature is determined through one's social formation, and Freud's focus on the effects of the socialization of an individual. Social constructs become so ingrained that they seem to be natural, but rather they are the inventions of a given society. The postmodern view emphasizes the role of environmental factors and social relationships on human behavior as opposed to biological determinism. So there it is, my analysis of the evolution of human nature over time and how past ideas have shaped our present mode of thought. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day.